You're listening to the Bride Chilla Podcast, helping bride chillas and groom chillas plan their wedding minus the bullshit. One podcast at a time with your host, Alicia McCormack. Yes, indeed. It's Bride Chilla, the number one wedding planning podcast. That's how you have to say it with that sort of silly voice. I'm so happy to be joining you today and sharing some of your best money saving tips. It's always good asking the people because you're in the you're in the weeds. You're with it at the moment. You are going through this process of planning a wedding, hopefully not losing your marbles at the same time. If you are, take a breath. It's only a wedding. It's only a party. Life will go on. It's going to be fun. But chill out. Was my heavy breathing weird then? Good. Enjoy it. Uh, I am Alicia, the host of this show. This is episode 345. If you are new to the program, well, there are 344 other episodes for you to listen to. I cover everything from mental illness, health, and uh, obviously hacks, tips to save you time and money, and also just talk about how crazy wedding planning can be and just trying to normalize the insanity. There it is. I don't know if that should be put on a, a you know some sort of mug normalizing the insanity with Alicia. But to be honest, I think a lot of the wedding media don't talk about how fucking shit it can be, but also how great it can be at the same time. If you have not heard last week's episode, that's episode 343. It's part 1 of money saving tips. Look, you're not going to suffer. I'm going to be honest with you, not saying you don't go and listen, but if you listen to this episode without listening to last week's episode first, it's not like the end of making a murderer or something. I'm not giving anything away. There's nothing to give away. I'm obsessed. I'll tell you what, Kathleen, that new lawyer, fucking hell, she's a goddess. You just want her on your side. If you commit any crime, just get this girl on board. Lady, female, not this girl, she's not a little girl, she's a very experienced lawyer. I really digress. Apologies. I'm obsessed. All of the comments, thoughts and suggestions have come from you, the people uh, from our Bride Chiller community Facebook group, which is a great place to hang out. We've got about oh, 7,000 people. If you're listening in the future, it's going to be more because it's growing every day. But what's good about this community, it's a closed community, which means we're very specific about who we let in. We're really just letting in bride chillers who listen to the show and get the ethos of bride chiller. It's not a shit show of a forum like some of the others. And um, we don't put up with any shit. So if people start you know, spamming or trying to tell people to lose weight or be bossy or call shit tacky, we just kick them out. That's the end. I wanted to say... Before we start talking about money-saving topics and tips, there was a very interesting conversation in the Bride Chiller community, which I think is quite intrinsically connected to this topic. Um, Ziva put a post up in the community saying, Please don't tell me I'm not the only one that gets incredibly frustrated when vendors don't put rates on their websites and force you to contact them for a quote. It makes me feel like they just get to charge whatever they want. I don't need to be asked a million questions about my vision and theme. Just tell me your price. Now, this was a very... Firstly, sorry, Ziva, thank you for contributing to the community. And also, it just kicked off. We had about 40 comments within about 20 minutes. People were very passionate about this. And I've spoken to lots of vendors over the past 300 plus episodes of this show, and everyone's got a different theory and thought about this. 
I personally feel as a consumer, if you just say, hey, I'm going to cost you $5,000 or my services are $5,000. And if you know that's completely out of your price range, you aren't going to send that vendor an email or as you said, go into some sort of deep quote process when you know there is no fucking chance on the face of the earth that you're going to pay five grand. So I get the ease of from both parties to have the freedom of saying, look, this is my price range for my services. If it doesn't suit you, totally cool. Or for the vendor to then say that they're happy if they do actually provide this service, they're happy to tailor a price and service to clients' needs. Some photographers and videographers are very flexible by saying, okay, I'll only do a four-hour call-out or we'll just do the getting ready and the ceremony part and then I'll leave. The same goes with venues. A lot more venues are now being quite open with their prices. And to be honest, the conversations that were happening within this thread really the message was from Bride Chillers that they would really just like price openness. They would prefer prices being put out there. Now, I will say, and I'm going to go to the defense of a lot of, you know, 99.9% of vendors that I work with and have spoken with over the years, they're not mixing their prices up depending on you as a client. Because to be honest, that would be very confusing and difficult for them to be keeping up with and also it doesn't really serve them any benefits to do that. So I don't think this is a conspiracy. No one's out to check you out on Facebook and decide if you're rich or not and then quote you more money. I just don't think that's happening. And if they're doing it, well, they're good luck to them because that's detective work and who could be fucked? So reading through all of your comments, you know, there was some really positive feedback about this. And I I think if there are vendors listening, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. But to be honest, if you do put a price range at least or package ranges on your website. To me, it just saves the vendor time and money not replying to, not having to reply to hundreds of potential clients that really aren't even going to be potential clients because it's out of their price range. And then also for bride chillers and groom chillers having to go through the quote process, which can be freaking annoying, it will save time and energy from that perspective. A couple of episodes ago, Kevin Elizabeth, lovely wedding photographer, was on talking about uh, posing and working with photographers. And she is also a bride chiller. And she had some great things to say from her perspective as a vendor, but also as a bride-to-be about how much she's getting frustrated with other vendors and seeing it from a different perspective about ghosting. And uh, also she had a, a lot to say about pricing as well. So I just wanted to thank everyone for contributing to that conversation And I do hope that there is a change in the industry and the sticker shock thing can be avoided a little bit with some generalized price suggestions on people's websites. That's not to say that they can't go in and hone in on a quote as they go, but just being able to see it and go, great, fuck, this is completely out of my price range. Fantastic. I'll move on. Or great, this is cheaper than I thought. I'm going to hire them or at least go forward with the communication. So thank you, everyone. This is what the community is great for intellectual, sensible, and fun conversations that I really appreciate reading. And also, it just gives me more things to talk about on this here show. In this episode, we're talking about money-saving tips. As I said last episode, money-saving doesn't make you cheap, it makes you clever. Now, there were a lot of suggestions about saving money on your wedding attire. And you know, one suggestion that we really talked about a lot was buying secondhand pre- 
pre-owned, pre-loved, whatever the fuck you want to call it, that makes it sound not like, oh, I just went and got a fucking cheapo dress. It's not what we're saying. I do feel over and over again, I talk about the idea that we only really wear wedding dresses for eight to 10 hours and then they get donated, they get put in the back of a cupboard or a lot of people go, I'm going to change the color of the dress. I'm going to dip dye it and I'm going to wear it every second week. And you go, absolutely, sounds great. But a lot of the time, no one ever does it. Forget it. Who has time? You've got other things to do in your life rather than dip dyeing dresses. Tessa, Tess, not Tessa. She might be a Tessa. But in this shiz test says, buying a non-wedding dress is my suggestion. The second you add bridal or wedding in front of a price, it skyrockets. I found an evening dress that was $250 and everyone tells me it looks so expensive. I also just wanted to quickly, side note, talk about this idea of wedding, the word wedding increasing the price. I think sometimes this can be true in some areas, but to be honest, we go back to that whole conversation about how many times do you buy a four-tiered cake in real life? I mean, it's a wedding-related item, so they can charge whatever the fuck they want to charge. Wedding dresses, the certain style of dresses, a formal wedding gown, is pretty much just a wedding gown. And as Tess says, if you look at alternative means of getting these dresses, finding a if you want to go for cream and ivory, you don't have to. Wear whatever color you want. But if you want to find a dress that looks wedding-y but isn't sold in a bridal boutique, I did the same thing. I bought an off-the-rack beautiful dress from a store, but it was just a dress, you know, just a dress that became my wedding dress. But it wasn't labeled a wedding dress. It was it was it was actually $300 I paid for my wedding dress compared to, you know, I tried dresses on that were a couple of grand. However, I just want to go to bat for the wedding industry and looking at basic economics. And I'm not really one to go too deep on this. I did an arts degree, nothing to do with finance and economics. But if you just look at the price of things and, and potentially look at, you know, property, if a house is worth what someone is willing to pay for it. So, Really, when you break it down, it, you know, buying a house in a suburb that isn't as popular and fancy, you could buy the same looking house in a really fancy suburb and it's going to be far more expensive. Are you still with me? I'm going to finish this in two seconds. Just stick with me. And the idea that you might be buying a, a wedding dress from a bridal boutique and their whole business is selling wedding dresses and the price of wedding dresses on average is, I don't, I don't know, $1,000, let's just say, picking a number out of my house. But the idea that that's normalized because that's what people pay for wedding dresses. So if you go to another alternative place to buy a dress that you could wear to a wedding and it's not labeled a wedding dress, you're going to get a better deal. Wow. Good on you, Alicia. That worked out much better than I thought it would. Thank you very much, Tess, for contributing. Uh, lovely Chels said, I got my dress secondhand at a bridal consignment shop. What should have been $1,200 ended up only costing me $600, and I can sell it back to the same store when I'm done. We auto we we also utilized coupons like crazy. We slowly built up our DIY crafts by using the 50% coupons at Michaels, the an American store, and a local wedding coupon book. Good point. I must add that one of our Bridechiller partners is a website called stillwhite.com. They're not sponsoring this episode, but I must add that they're the biggest online consignment wedding dress business in the world now. Pretty proud of them. They started in Sydney. Husband and wife team just thought it was a good idea. And gee whiz, it's cracked on and done really well. Stillwhite.com backslash bridechiller. 
for all the information. Also, I wanted to mention the local coupon codes. This is a really good thing. A lot of local wedding fairs can be shit. Let's be honest. I haven't been to a wedding fair a big commercial wedding fair for quite a while because I got really sick of them. But I know that there are lots of independent, really cool wedding fairs and events that are really worth a look. So I highly encourage you to just pick and choose. Just you can get the vibe pretty quickly from websites and forums where, you know, if it's a huge at a at a huge sort of event center, you know, it's probably going to be quite like hardcore salesy. Everyone standing around their booths, sort of shouting at you. But there are lots of independent fairs that you could go along to and 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 really find great people, and that's where you can find good deals as well. And pick up some of the coupon codes or discounts that they run on the day. A lot of the times, you know, photographers, venues, if they're participating in fairs, will do day of deals that if you know what you want beforehand and they are going to be suppliers at one of these wedding fairs, which they do pay. You know, our, our bride chiller vendors have said this before. They pay a lot of money to go along to those wedding fairs. So they want to make sure they're picking up good clients on those days or at least getting good leads. And it can be a good way to save money. So make sure you check the listings of these wedding fairs. And if there are people there that you want to to potentially work with, that might be a, a really good opportunity to score a top deal. Here's a point that I don't think I've made before, and it feels really obvious and very clever. Bride Chiller Harriet left this message. She said that, I know hiring a dress is a huge money saver, and it is, and we'll talk about that. But for those who, for whatever reason, may prefer to buy it, I got just over £1,000, that's about $1,500, off my wedding dress because it was, quote, last season. Who knew that that could be a thing for wedding dresses? This was at the end of summer when the stores were looking to get rid of old stock to free up space on the rack. It's a sample size, which tend to be about a UK 12. So there was less choice in terms of size, but it might help a few people. And you are correct, Harriet. So often we talk about wedding dress shopping and we don't talk about how that every season they bring out new dresses, often with a lot of the big bridal stores, they will bring out, or bridal designers, they will bring out very similar dresses. They will update designs slightly and they'll call it a different dress name. It's the Fiona. And then next year, it's the Felicity, but it's got a slight change. Of course, there are you know, the whole new collections that they bring out, which are completely different. However, no one will know if your dress is from 2014 or 2019 spring summer collection. No one will give a shit. So I think it's very worth looking in, as as we've said, consignment stores, bridal boutiques, online, looking for sale items that are being discontinued or sample items in boutiques. This is something that you can just walk in and ask about. They don't often advertise them. And if they're trying to get space on their in their store and in their racks, it can be worth saying, can I buy the sample when you try it on? Please be aware with sample dresses, they have been tried on for a, by a bunch of people. They will often ask for you to dry clean them yourself. If it's got any beading or lace work, do check it really thoroughly and make sure that it's in good nick. And if it isn't, really have a conversation with the store about how that can be fixed, if it can be fixed. A lot of the time, really detailed work can actually end up costing you more money to fix than saving the money in the first place. So just just be careful. Just be careful. 
Do your research. Don't lose your head over discounts if it's going to cost you more money in the end. But really worth a gander. Well done, Harriet. Before the break, I want to talk about cake. Before the break, I want to talk about cake. I mean, I want to talk about cake all the time. I think about cake constantly. It's a joy. Don't deprive yourself. Amy says simply, I save money by buying grocery store cake. And uh, grocery store cake in America, I must say, is much better than supermarket cake in Australia. And even in the UK, actually, they're not great. But in America, you have huge options. Um, My lovely cousin Belinda lives in Chicago, and we go and visit them quite often. And bloody Whole Foods has an amazing array of cakes that I could put my face in each time. And they all look really fancy. So it's a great option. You can also decorate these cakes uh, in a really nice way, putting some live flowers, some real flowers, or obviously, if you want to save yourself time from having to figure out which flowers may or may not kill your guests, seriously, don't just put any flower on food because some of them are sprayed with pesticides, some of them have nasties on them, not great for food. So just be careful of that. But also you can buy fantastic fake flowers. If you're looking for that really beautiful, simple iced cake, whether this is a sheet cake or a tiered cake situation that you can put together yourself, put some fake flowers on it. Fucking great. Bridechilla Rochelle has another excellent solution to this conundrum. She says her future husband and I wanted to get our cake from his favorite bakery in Boston, but it would be $1,200 for a wedding cake to feed the number of people we're after. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. The solution, oh, I love a bridechilla with a solution, buy regular cakes. We're having a small cutting cake and ordering half sheet cakes for the rest. Total cost? Get this, guys, gals, everyone, about $350. That's almost a 75% saving. And we're getting the same delicious cake, just sans tears. I don't care. I mean, uh, Rochelle, fucking great. I've said fuck a lot this episode. Apologies. Sorry, not sorry. Um, Rochelle, great suggestion. I don't really care about tears. Um, just also note this. My my stool in the booth, I've got to replace it. There's a lot of noise in the stool and it sounds inappropriate. Apologies. Cat, instead of having a wedding cake neither of us care about, fine, if you don't care about cake, go for it. We're having a stack of waffles that we can make ahead of time and freeze, then defrost and decorate nearer the day. It'll probably cost us about 80 pounds. Mm, I can't do the maths, maybe 120 bucks, including buying a waffle maker that I will use daily because I freaking love waffles. Cat, great idea. Stack of waffles. Get my face into it. There's a lot of talk about me putting my face into certain foods. It's gross. After the break, I want to share with you some fantastic tips about learning a skill and doing things yourself. Now, that does not mean DIYing the whole freaking wedding, but some bride chillers and their family members have acquired some pretty amazing skills that have saved them time and money, but also just they've enjoyed learning a new thing, which cannot be bad. More of Bride Chiller episode 345. I love you all after this break. Bride Chillers and Groom Chillers, thank you for listening to Bride Chiller. Thank you for sharing the spirit of Bride Chiller with your friends and family. I love when you tag me into Instagram posts or you share my Insta posts to other people going, you need this. 
You should listen to this. This is why you're having a breakdown. She's all right. Funny Australian. I get some really great comments and I love them. So thank you. I really think this whole Bride Chiller movement is growing. I know it is because of you. Because you're spreading the word and sharing that you enjoy it and it's been helpful and that really means the world for me. Our team is Rich and I. So Rich is my husband, if you're new, and we sit in our tracksuit pants and polo tops. <laughs> Polar fleeces is what I'm trying to say at our various workstations hammering away. And this whole business, I'm going to be honest, and I've been transparent from the beginning, has been, you know, learning as we go. I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of blogs, go, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. All right. That's how you're supposed to go. And I listened to a podcast the other day with Bethany Frankel. I freaking love Bethany Frankel. She created Skinny Girl Cocktails, the Skinny Girl brand. You might know her from The Real Housewives of New York. And I think a lot of people just go, oh, she's a real housewife. Someone else has done all the work. And it's completely the opposite. She's a sassy broad, and I really look up to her as a business owner and entrepreneur. And uh, I feel like, you know, I connect a lot with her messaging. And, you know, she started it on her own. She did her own thing. And, and listening to a podcast about her, it, it gave me a little fire under my tush. Because I'm like, you know what? You don't have to have a bunch of seed funding and a team to make things happen. I mean, fuck, it would really help. I'm not going to lie. But we hustle and we enjoy it. And to have the personal feedback from the Bridechiller community really makes a difference. So thank you all very much for spreading the word. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit um, in this second half of the show about your feedback about timing and venues, and then also learning new skills. I said before the break, so many bride chillers had contacted me saying, well, look, we didn't know how to do something or we got quotes about things. And then we realized we could do it ourselves, which is a really, I think, clever and positive way to problem solve I will say, don't feel like you have to and need to do everything. Of course, I'm a big fan of finding ways to pass on tasks to professionals and family and friends, which we'll also talk about, that want to help you. So of course, if people offer, just say yes. Just say yes, I will accept your help. Thank you. Like Gray, she says, my mum recently retired and has always talked about wanting to learn calligraphy. So as soon as we got engaged, I bought her a calligraphy starter kit and an online course from Laura Hooper Calligraphy. I'll look that up. For Christmas, she'll be addressing our invitations. Uh, Gray says, I have terrible handwriting. And she's even learning how to do calligraphy on cloth and wood to make pretty signage. Of course, this only works if you have someone in your life who loves this kind of stuff? Gray, well done to you and well done to your mum for picking up a lovely new skill. Calligraphy is amazing. I don't have the patience for it, but I watch a lot of Instagram. I follow a couple of Instagram accounts that put real-time videos up of them doing the calligraphy, and I sort of get a bit mesmerized by it. It's like calligraphy and Dr. Pimple Popper videos is where I'm at. They're my happy place. Lovely bride chiller Tessa from Australia. Hello, Tessa. I'm hoping to make my own wedding cake. That way I can choose the flowers slash combinations I like and ensure that everyone's dietary requirements are met. Also, it helps as I love to bake. This is great, Tessa. I'm glad that you are taking the plunge. We've had a few bride chillers over the years making their own wedding cake. And of course, wedding cake's great because depending obviously on what you're putting inside it, but you can make it ahead of time and 
of course, if you are DIYing anything, I think you should prepare a bit of a template, a timeline so you know when you're going to be doing these things and you're not going to be doing it the night before because no one wants to be making a cake the night before. Side note, we had dinner with some lovely friends last night, Ang Harrod and James, and they had recently been to James's brother's wedding. And it was a potluck wedding where they asked family and friends to bring along food for the reception. And they were very organised. They did a Google Sheets where they shared it with all the guests so they could tick a box and say what they're bringing along so they weren't doubling up and they were making sure everyone wasn't just bringing cheese platters. Ang Harrod is very good in the kitchen and she wanted to make a crockenbush, which anyone who has watched Australian MasterChef will know it's a stack of profiteroles. That's shoe pastry filled with gorgeous, sometimes custard, uh, deliciousness, chocolatey things. Uh, and it's usually stacked up in a massive, like these balls of pastry are stacked up in a massive pyramid. And then you secure it with caramel or a sugared, you know, hard sugar and stick it all together. So in Australian MasterChef for years, which is the best MasterChef, by the way, God, it's the only MasterChef to watch. I'm very biased, but it's great. At the end, they would always do that as their final episode challenge to make this crock and bush in an incredibly short period of time. They're very difficult to make. And Ang Harrod had been preparing for three weeks in a row. She'd been doing prep cooks, figuring it out. And she ended up creating it the night before the wedding. She did all the the assembling. She'd created the shoe pastry and put it together. But she was staying off-site, not in her home base. She was in the James's brother's apartment. And the humidity in the apartment and the atmosphere was different from their apartment. Might I just add, Ang Harrod is a lawyer. She's logical. She's very organized. She's sensible. She's fabulous. She'd done her prep. She did, she had put this, this thing together and slept overnight to make sure it had worked before and it had always stayed together. But in this apartment, the freaking thing fell apart because the heat was different and the caramel all melted. So they got up the morning of the wedding going, holy cow, the profiteroles have just fallen apart. The crock and bush is no longer a bush. It's just sort of a blob. So then they had to try and put this thing back together. And of course it tasted delicious. But they couldn't really start again the morning of the wedding, so it, w- it was what it was. That is my story, Crockenbush story of the week for you. <laughs> Crafty bride chillers have come out in droves. Bride chiller Sarah said, I made my own veil. It's a fingertip length and was made for $40 in materials. Super simple to make, especially if you have a sewing machine. I copied my veil after the $200 one that I tried on in the store, and it looks almost identical. Bridechiller Kylie also said, DIY veiling. It might seem too hard, but it's honestly a piece of cake. I just watched a few YouTube vids, and I winged it. Cost me a grand total of $32, and it is amazing. Bonus points now. I know I have an heirloom to pass down for many years to come. I must also add our friends uh, who have been partners, our lovely friend Brittany Finkel, who is the owner of Happily Ever Borrowed. She has amazing veils to borrow. So if you aren't into doing a bit of craft yourself, just borrow them. Send them back. You haven't got to worry about it. Bridechiller Amber says, I'm getting married on a Saturday across the street from the biggest farmer's market in the state. 
I've decided the bridesmaids and I are going to do a brunch and pick out our bouquets from the market. Wouldn't be more than $50, and that's what we're doing for flowers. I thought that it would be cute and more original uh, for the getting ready pictures than what we typically see also. What a lovely idea. If you are near something, a market somewhere that you know what well, firstly is going to happen and also that they can give you what you need, of course, you can pop in in the months beforehand, check in and say, I'm going to come across. I'm going to get my bouquets made. Are you ready? We'll be here at this time. Make them pretty. Please give me good service because I'm getting married today. Lovely idea. Really good idea. There was a lot of comments left about timing and venue choice. Now, this is actually probably a much bigger conversation and could be an episode of its own. And I have covered this topic on a number of podcasts, but I wanted to share some of your wins when it comes to being a bit flexible with the time of year, where you're having your wedding, and also Things like weekday weddings, so many people have said, like Brooke said, a weekday wedding has saved us thousands. Lane says, hands down, the best decision we made was to choose an all-inclusive venue. If you're okay with fewer options, we have had much better deals with many vendors because they are all included in a package through our venue. And she's written in capitals, highly recommend. Claudel says, number one money-saving tip for us was that we chose a date during the off-season, February 23rd. Thankfully, we live in an area with milder winters. And due to the date we chose, our all-inclusive venue, another one, is extremely generous. And our package even includes a cake, day of coordinator, setup of our decorations, cleanup, and complimentary room block. We're also having a brunch wedding on a Saturday, so the cost is significantly different from a dinner wedding. Also a really good suggestion and a way to just tighten the budget a little bit. A lot of venues are a lot more flexible with daytime events than evening because then they can turn the venue around and run an evening event as well and make even more cash. And that does not restrict your options. It doesn't mean you have to shut the party down at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It means you can move it on to another location go to a bar or an evening venue that you can extend the celebrations but don't have to pay for long venue fee for a reception. Good idea. Jamie also followed the lead of having a daytime wedding where she said they saved $1,000 by having their ceremony in the morning and a lunchtime reception. That was just the venue hire. And then they also knocked off our price per head. They knocked it down by $10 by removing the entree from the menu and substituting it for a small morning tea after the ceremony. This is great. If you don't ask, you don't receive. And a lot of venues are very flexible with your needs if you ask. I love this suggestion from Bride Chiller Alley. If you have the option to do this, I think this is worth exploring. She says, moving the location of our wedding from the city to my small hometown. Food went from $100 a plate. Oh my God, get this, to $10 a plate. All of the vendors are much cheaper as well. If you have a location that's not in a city, you can save yourself a ton of money. It also feels great to be supporting local business people and they're people that my family have known forever. Like a caterer has known my parents since before I was even born. And everyone has been much more flexible with meetings and prices. My florist is meeting me before her shop opens since another time won't work for me. I know small town isn't an option for everyone, but it, if it is, definitely consider it. 
To which Caitlin said, this is what saved me so much money too. Not only having small town vendors have been cheaper, but I found them to be more accommodating and easier to work with because they have a lot less client load and they really appreciate the business. I think this is a lovely idea if you have the option to take it out of town. If you have relatives that live out of town, if you've been to a small town that you like, consider it. It might save you cash. It might be a different experience. And I totally agree. I grew up in Tasmania. I grew up in Hobart in Australia. And Hobart still has the small town attitude. You actually get customer service. People really care about what they're doing. Not to say big city vendors don't. I'm not saying that. But I do think there's an element of the small town attitude that you can, you know, I want to say take advantage of. I didn't mean that in a bad way. But I just mean enjoy it. Enjoy nice small town people. Also, an extension of this idea is not choosing a wedding venue. Venue That means not something that's specifically set up to cater for weddings. Caitlin said, a venue doesn't have to be labelled as wedding to be perfect for your wedding. We chose a restaurant with a beautiful banquet hall over any of the local venues that sold themselves as wedding venues, and we saved a lot for our big day. For example, one labelled wedding venue was $10,000 just to use the space. That did not include the rest of catering or decor, which was therefore extra, and it looked like it was going to cost us around $20,000 for the number of guests we wanted, which wasn't more than 80. This was not even the most costly of our venues. This was the average. Oi. When we happened to be having lunch at our favourite place and remembered that they had a hall neatly tucked around the side of the restaurant, after that, all was said and done, and we paid just under $6,000, which included food, space, tables, chairs, all the fixing, staff, and booze. So my biggest money tip is to look at unconventional spaces. When it comes to unconventional wedding spaces, we got married in a private house. Rich, my husband, is an architect. We found a beautiful property that was open, that had the correct insurance and registrations for hiring out as a venue, which did mean that we had to bring in everything. I've talked about this quite a lot, but it worked for us and it worked for our our budget and it worked for our guest list numbers and it was very flexible. You might have heard an episode where I talk about a company called Splacer, which is S-P-L-A-C-E-R dot co. This is for our American listeners. I don't know. I'd love to see if they're expanding into other countries. But they are basically like an Airbnb for spaces that are commercial spaces. So you might see warehouses, stores that have cool spaces they they want to rent out after hours it could be big commercial spaces there are lots of actual residential like cool warehousey spaces that they're happy to have parties at or functions or conferences the world is your oyster when it comes to this website when i first featured splacer on the on the bridechiller podcast about a year ago they were quite a small business and now they're huge all because They've been on my show. I'd highly recommend you check it out. And I'm sure if you look in your area, there might be similar websites available or similar um, opportunities available for you to find alternative venues. As did Ronit. She says, looking for venues that are in some way owned by the city or state or a university can save you money. Sometimes they are crazy less expensive. We have a gorgeous redwood grove for our ceremony and a separate venue for reception altogether under $4,000. Our coordinator is included in the catering 
So while our total catering bill is a bit high, the coordination price is a lot less expensive. So that is a really good option. I know, again, in Australia, local councils have the, a lot of properties that they rent out. I know it happens all over the world. And there's sometimes some really cool spaces that if you get ahead of time, you can get for a really good price. And they also come with all the insurances and making sure you're covered. I mention insurance over and over again because just to hire a warehouse down the street's great. But if someone falls over... Someone crashes something, something happens and you're not covered or you burn the place down. You just want to make sure that you have all of the correct paperwork and it's not going to cause you a shit show later on or someone else. So it's important to remember when you are looking for an alternative wedding space just to ask for the paperwork. And if you can use a website like Splacer or a similar website that comes with the assurance that it's covered and also that the spaces are approved for party use, because the worst thing is if you hire a space and yeah, it's got the insurance, but the neighbors next door fucking hate parties and you don't know that. And 25 minutes into the DJ set that's coming into your wedding, they call the cops and they shut your wedding down. That would suck. That would really suck. Bradshaw Hillary talked about vendors and she says, we have hired all of our vendors based on our venue's preferred vendor list. And almost every vendor has given us a discount for it. This is a great suggestion. Some venues are very specific about the vendors that they would like to recommend. Some say you have to use these vendors. Here's our list of preferred 10 vendors. And then you realize preferred means you must. So do read your contracts prior to signing them. Some venues are very specific about that and you just want to make sure you're not roped into using vendors that you don't want to use or perhaps you've already found your own vendors that you want to use and now you're like, oh shit, I've signed the venue contract and they've said I have to use their vendors. Saying that, using preferred vendors, (laughs) can't say it, vendors can be really handy because it means they know the space, the venue clearly trusts them. They know all the ins and outs of working at that space and the rules, when you can drop shit off, when you can pick it up, and it can be really handy and save you time and money. And of course, they might give you a discount, as Hillary said. Haley said, I asked my friends for a list of their vendors and recommendations. Nobody wants to have the same wedding, but when some of our friends got a crazy deal on an all-inclusive venue in South California because they knew the coordinator, we couldn't pass it up. I was able to talk to the coordinator and now their crazy deal is our crazy deal. Oh, that's lovely. And now one of my bridesmaids and I are venue twins and honestly... I am not even mad because it's going to be a totally different look and how we decorate is going to be really different. I love that, Hayley. Share the love. Share the freaking love. And of course, your wedding is going to be different because they're your weddings. You got different people, got different design aesthetic, different entirely. Don't worry about having the same thing at the same place. We just talked about this recently with uh, bloody Eugenie and Meghan Markle whatever she's called now, Windsor, having the same venue. Who cares? It's all different. Don't worry about it. Oh, speaking of Megan's, lovely bride chiller Megan said, hiring a wedding planner. She was my big investment, but she's almost paid for herself in discounts. I automatically get 20 to 25% off vendor prices just for using her. It's fantastic. We're also using a lot of things we already own for decor, so we don't have to rent it. 
and I'm making DIY, bloody hell, what's this word? Himaly? Himaly. Hang on, let me just Google what that is. Right, I'm back. It's like a geometric shape. I should have known that if Rich was here, because he does parametric design, computer design, computational parametric design. Um, I, fuck, I don't know. But it looks lovely. They're the geometric, cool, hanging things. And uh, <laughs> Megan says, I'm making them for our centerpieces instead of buying them pre-made. Great idea. I love them. Very nice looking. Lastly, the long engagement. Now, some people say a shorter engagement, you get stuff done, you haven't got time to buy extra things, you just get it in, get it out. But a lot of people have said that they have chosen to really extend their engagement, save money, and also have time to book ahead. Like Jenna, she said, we got engaged the first the first 2018, and now a year out. So it's going to be a 22-month engagement. The extra time definitely lets us wait for sales and we're able to pay cash for our wedding, which is another great tip. If you've got the cash, offer cash. Some people will definitely do decent discounts for cash money, cash money. Bride Chilla Sarah says, having a long engagement, we have two years until our fall 2020 wedding. And that means we have two fall clearance seasons to pick out our decor. Also, lots of time for us to price out all of our vendor options and lock in the pricing before it goes up in 2020. There it is as well. You can ask them, hey, is this price locked in? Can I lock it in, please? Great. Must add a good suggestion also just as an extension of that bride chiller, Sarah, who was also having a long engagement and she said, it's so worth it. They are 17 months into a 27-month engagement. They didn't plan it that way. They got engaged in 2017 and with other family weddings in 2018, it pushed their wedding to 2019. So she says, stress has been minimal. Everything is basically planned and we're ready to go. We're able to take our time deciding on vendors and aesthetic. We did not feel rushed to make any decisions. And financially, it's been really awesome for them because also they can pay for the entire wedding in cash. She also says she has a bunch of time to do the DIY, all the DIY that my heart desires without stressing about it. I started making robes for my bridal party a month ago and then life happened again and I got busy. But next month, I'll have more free time and I don't feel pressured because I still have 10 months to finish them. She's also done her own centerpieces. She said they're done and they'll be sitting in a box until August, which is fine for me. At least they'll be done. Now with 10 months to go, we're keeping up with the budget habits and they're picking up extra side jobs. Good on you. They're doing more cooking at home and putting every extra penny into savings. So we can do a mini moon after the wedding and then a totally kick-ass honeymoon in 2020. Sometimes, yes, I just want to be married. And she does this. Uh, that's how it's written. And that's how I'm deciphering it. But it'll be worth it when we walk away from the day completely debt free. Oh, good sayings, good information. May I remind you, whether you are spending $50,000 or $500 on your wedding, that saving money doesn't mean that you have to look cheap or whatever. It also just means you can distribute it somewhere else. Instead of having Prosecco, you might have champagne. Instead of your bridesmaids paying for their hair and makeup, you might be able to pay for it. I don't know. It just means that you can be a bit more creative and have a little bit more freedom. Really, that's what it's all about, isn't it? having freedom to do whatever the fuck you want and feel comfortable and not waking up with a debt hangover. 
after your wedding because that's not cool to have to go back and pay a loan off or a credit card off after your wedding day. Well, that's no fun because you want to be able to spend your money on other stuff like travel and mortgages and life and other stuff. I'm just just going to not get a list stuff to spend money on. You get it. There it is. That is part two of Bride Chiller Best Money Saving Tips. Thank you for all of your amazing contributions. You are smart, sassy, clever people. And I'm grateful that we've got this amazing community and we all chip in and help each other. I want to finish today by thanking Anya for leaving this five-star review. She bought a Bride Chiller pack. She says, after having the Bride Chiller Survival and Field Guide used as my go-to advice for planning my wedding for a couple of weeks, I cannot stress enough how helpful and fun these guides are. Every time I think I might not find the help I need, I discover that Alicia has already spent a thought on it. Thank you so much for putting so much love, effort and fun into this. Anya, thank you. I also want to thank Georgiana, who also left me a five-star review. She says, the books are fantastic. The Survival Guide is essentially the podcast in book form, which is great for being able to review the key points and see them in written form, which I am a very visual person. The Field Guide is exactly what I wanted. I think I can feel really confident now to know that I won't forget anything in the lead up to the wedding. Thank you so much for taking the time. It means the world to me, and I'm delighted that you are using the books and they are helping. If you are going to have bridesmaids, I'm very excited because in but a few short weeks, we are opening the pre-orders for the Maid Chiller Manual, which is my brand new book that I've written from the perspective of a bride chiller who is giving all the information that will help your maid chillers, your bridesmaids, your bridal party with all the information they need to help you out. So it's from the perspective of saying, hey, I'm a bride chiller and here's some stuff that'll make being a maid chiller fun and useful and helpful. Keep an eye out in the bride chiller community and bridechillerstore.com for the pre-order announcement. Until next week's episode of the Bride Chiller Podcast, I wish you all the best, happiness, and of course, happy days. The Bride Chiller Podcast, telling chair covers to get fucked since 2014. The Bride Chiller Survival Guide is like Bride Chiller. It is a tell it like it is no bullshit wedding planning guide and features chapters like the truth about wedding night sex here's the truth you might want to go to sleep and that's absolutely fine sweating for the wedding why i fucking hate that and it's okay to feel like shit because it is you're not going to be happy all the time that's a fact there's also lots of other positive upbeat chapters that will help you plan your wedding like a pro visit bridechillerstore.com to order your copy and check out the bridechiller field guide while you're there too happy days